few weeks leading up to Christmas, looking at the theme of hope as it relates to life in this world. The Christmas season, as Bill shared so eloquently with our kids, is really a season of anticipation. We call the season leading up to Christmas itself the season of Advent, and Advent is really all about waiting and watching and hoping for the promises of God to be fulfilled. If you're familiar with the biblical story, you know that God showed up and spoke to men and women centuries ago and told them that a promise was coming. Not only would he lead them to a new land and a new experience of community, but that he would provide a savior. He would provide a Messiah who would come and take care of all of the brokenness and all of the problems of this world. He would be the answer that they were looking for to find true fulfillment in life. And so the Christmas season is a, is a season every year where we get to remember that anticipation and the waiting that went into all those years and those centuries of the people wondering, how is God going to do this? Where was God going to show up? When would we see this promised fulfillment? My father is uh, German, and when he grew up, they always uh, celebrated Christmas in the German style, and that was always on Christmas Eve. They didn't wait to Christmas morning. I guess those Germans were, you know, go-getters and action-oriented, so they, they planned to do it Christmas Eve and open all the presents at night before the, the sun ever got up. But when they were kids, they, would, uh, they lived in Japan. My grandparents were missionaries there, and, uh, and so what they would do is they would have all the kids go into the back part of the house, and they would shut the doors and stuff them back there and make them wait while Oma and Opa would prepare the living room and the tree and all the wrapping and the presents. And they, they had candles that they would put on the tree. And they would light the candles. And when everything was finally prepared and the candles were lit and everything was aglow, then they would open the doors and the children would be ushered into this Christmas wonderland. And they would celebrate not only the birth of Messiah, but the, the wonderful family that they had been given and the love and the joy and the uh, wonderful food and all the things that we associate with the holidays. And as uh, a kid growing up, we, we always celebrated Christmas Eve as well. And I, and I remember so many times uh, coming home from church, because we, as a pastor's kid, often had, you know, two or sometimes even three Christmas Eve services, and our family would go to all the services, and we'd sit through the music, and it was so wonderful just to be with our extended church family, but at the end of the night, we would get to go home, and we'd sit around the tree in the living room, and it would be, you know, midnight, and, and we would sit and talk about what it was that we were thankful for, what were the best gifts that we could think of that we had received from this last year. And, I, and I'll tell you, as an older teenager, even though it may have seemed sappy and tacky, I tell you, those are the things that I remember. I couldn't tell you all the gifts that I unwrapped out of those boxes. But I remember those times as a family, going around and hearing my parents talk about what they were truly thankful for and how blessed they felt to be a part of a family that really loved one another and cared for one another. And I'm reminded that the Christmas season, I think for us in our culture and even in our world, is such a wonderful season because it reminds us of the anticipation that we all have in life, not just at Christmas, but every day. The anticipation that, that maybe we're going to discover something in a relationship that we have. 
that's going to bring satisfaction and joy and fulfillment. Maybe we're going to discover something in our, in our work and in our career that's going to help us to, to find meaning and value in the things that we contribute to the world. As we go through life, we're, we're anticipating and hoping we're going to find those things that, that bring a sense of what it is that I uniquely contribute to make this world a better place. What is it that, that I'm wired to do and to be that, that something only I can do and it gives me a deep sense of value and purpose for how I'm living my life. In many ways, we go through life as a search for for discovering these moments of fulfillment, these moments that give us insight and clues into what life is really all about, what makes life worth living, and who we are in this world. And that's really what discovering the hope of Christmas is all about for us this season. We're wanting to take some time to recognize in the anticipation of Christmas that life is really a search. Life is a process of searching and discovering these moments of fulfillment in our lives that we hang on to, that we look back on, and we remember, and we carry those forward. And as we grow as individuals, as we grow as families, as we grow as a church, we, we carry these things with us, and these stories and these experiences bring meaning and value and purpose to our lives. And as we look at the Bible, we really discover that that's how God operates with all people. Relationships and events present us with opportunities to discover these kinds of things in our lives. And even though we go through these moments where there will be dark and difficult times and, and life can be challenging and confusing and, and we don't always agree with one another, even in, in our most close loving relationships, sometimes they're the, the most difficult to get along with at times. We have this hope that, that if, we, if we hang in there with one another, if we focus on looking for those things that are the true gifts that bring value and meaning, we will discover the hope that is embodied in the very message of Christmas. You see, our source and our confidence as Christians comes with this hope and this belief that we are not alone in this search. That God is with us. The, the creator of the universe who, who made us and brought this whole universe into existence is not standing afar off, unconcerned and uncaring about what we're experiencing and what we're feeling and what we think is important. He cares about those things and he wants us to know that he is not only aware of them, but he is deeply invested in helping us to discover fulfillment in our lives. And this process of seeking fulfillment is not just for this life, but ultimately we know that as we have those momentary experiences of discovery and fulfillment, those are seeds and signs of the hope that one day God is going to make all things new, that God's healing is going to be victorious, and that we will discover a new heaven and a new earth, and all of our suffering and all of our toil will have been for uh, have been overcome by the power and the love of God. I just want to introduce you this morning to the uh, what I think if we take a biblical view of life in this world are four foundational searches that we go through in life. These aren't the only searches. We're, we're searching for all different kinds of things in a lot of different ways, but I think if we take a biblical understanding of how God has revealed who He is and how He's shaped us as human beings, we can at least identify four foundational searches that we all are seeking for discovery and fulfillment in these areas, and I think this will help us as 
we go through this Christmas season to understand how God has provided for this hope that he has revealed through his son, Jesus Christ. The first foundational search is really a search for community. It really all starts with community and relationships. If you think about it, we're born into this world in community. We have mothers and fathers who have brought us into this world, and whether those were good relationships or bad relationships is not the point. The point is that we're born into community with other people, and it is really our first early experiences of life that shape us in those relationships that we have. And as those relationships begin to form us, we begin to discover this second area of where we search is a sense of identity. Our identity is formed out of the relationships that we have, and we begin to understand who we are and how we're different from those around us. And so we begin to have an understanding of a little bit of our uniqueness and how we're wired differently than other people. And then as we discover a sense of our identity and who we are, we begin to step out and try different things. We, we, We have passions and things we enjoy doing. We have things that we think we might like to do, and we try them, and we say, oh yeah, I don't like that so much. And over a while, we, we begin to find meaning and value, and that's the third one, in the things that we do. And out of our identity comes things that we're good at, and things that we enjoy, and things that we feel like, gosh, you know, this is a way that I can contribute to society. This is the way I can contribute to my family. This is the way I can contribute to the world around me, and I begin to find meaning and value in life out of the things that God has shaped me to do. And if we continue to progress in our search, and we we have these moments of discovery, we, we get to the fourth foundational search, which is really a search for purpose. And what we find is that out of the things that we are, we are good at doing and the things that we enjoy doing, the things that we make a difference in the world, that God uses those experiences to bring us to an understanding that, that we have a unique shape and gift that he has uh, called us to do and, and that only we can do. And when we have that sense of purpose, the, the reason why I'm here. This is why God made me the way he made me. This is why he put me in the family that he put me in. This is why he gave me the kind of work to do that he gave me to do. We have this deep sense that I have a mission to fulfill. And that that sense of purpose in life brings hope. Because no matter how difficult life can be, no matter through the ups and downs and the challenges of life, when we know they all come, We know that there's a purpose for why I was born. There's a purpose for why I exist. And that sense of purpose coming from the God who created us is what gives us hope that we can endure and overcome all of those challenges that life might throw at us. And as you can see, that ultimately kind of leads us back into community. And, and, and these searches continue. Now, I've kind of walked through them in, in, a, in a little bit of a linear progression. You know, one leads to the next, leads to the next, and they do build on one another in that way. But the reality is they're, they're all going on all the time, and we are all searching for meaning and fulfillment in each of these foundational areas of life that help us to make sense out of what life is about and how we can have hope for the future and hope for our relationships. You see, the first one is that community really forms the context in which we discover who we are. It's really about my story. The story of my life goes all the way back to my ancestors and my grandparents before me and the family that I was born in and the family I was raised in. And then I grow and I begin to 
create my own experiences and develop my own relationships. And all of the stories of, of those relationships begin to shape who I am. And that leads me into a, a greater sense of my shape for my identity and, and how God has formed and wired me and, and how I begin to understand that there are certain personality traits that God has given me. There are certain uh, skills that I have developed that come out of the, the abilities that God has given me. And that, that shape that he's given me really helps lead me into the kind of work that I do. Now, this work could be a work you do for a job to make a paycheck, but it could also be the kinds of work that we give ourselves to, whether it's working with wood or helping the homeless on the, on the street, whether it's working with children in schools, all the kinds of things that we give ourselves to to use our skills and our abilities and our personalities to work for the good of the world are things that come out of who we are and how we've learned God has shaped us to be. And then ultimately, purpose really is that sense that I am called by God to, to be and to do something that only I can do. It's that unique thing that is uh, my thing that only God has designed me to do, and no one else can do the way that I can do it. Now, one of the things that I'd like to highlight here is that if you, if you get a sense for how these foundational searches work, we can also begin to recognize that not all of our experiences in these foundational areas have always been positive. Uh, if community is the foundation out of which we discover our sense of identity and who we are, and we've had some negative experiences of community, that, then maybe for, we've had some challenges in understanding our, our identity and, and who we are. And that sometimes we struggle with, with our own self-esteem and our understanding of, of, of whether we, how we even feel about ourselves because maybe our experiences of community haven't been all that God intended them to be. And because those experiences have been negative, that's led to challenges in, in our own identity formation and in our understanding of who we are. And maybe that leads to some challenges in, well, what do I want to do with my life? And, and how should I use my abilities and skills? And, and maybe we've tried a lot of different careers or, or things that just haven't worked out. And so we kind of have people who maybe float through life, never really discovering what their niche is. And then without that sense of, this is what I'm really wired to do, and, and developing and growing and skills and, and improving, maybe we start to feel a little purposeless. And we, we're not really sure where we're going or whether it's all for any ultimate purpose, and so we start to feel this anxiety that we just kind of carry with us that, is life really worth living? What, why, what, what is it all about? And so you can see how this same process that can be a building, growing, developing process can also be one that, that if we get stuck and we don't move forward and we don't have healthy forms and, and helpful forms of these kinds of, of searches, it can be more debilitating and pre create challenges. But I see, I think this, for us, brings us to the question of how these searches are a significant and important part of what God has come to provide answers to. And today we're just going to take a little bit of a look into the first foundational search of community. And we're going to look each week at each of one of these searches and understand 
how God has really designed through his son Jesus an answer to some of these challenges in the world where, where these foundational developmental core searches in life have many, in many ways broken down for some of us. And we need to discover new ways to find healing and wholeness in these areas. The search for community is really a search for, for sharing and for caring, and for belonging in, in, in like a family. You know, people want to, to be in relationships where they, where they have give and take. They want to be receivers of, of love and care and sharing, but they also want to, to, to be givers of love and care. Most of us know that if we get into a relationship where it's all one-sided and one person's doing all the giving and the other person's doing all the taking, those aren't very healthy relationships, and often they don't last very long. I think at our core, each of us has a desire to be in relationships of mutuality where we feel like we're getting value from the other person, but we're also giving value and we're contributing to the relationship and to other people's lives around us. The sense of sharing and caring helps people get through difficult times because we know we're not in this alone. We know that we have somebody on our right hand, somebody on our left hand who can pick us up when we stumble. It's like, you know, it being in the military and you have your, your, your little squad of, of, of guys who, who are sent into the, the enemy territory and, and you go in together and you have confidence because you know you've built trust in, in, in working with one another and you have one another's backs. Woe to the person who's going through the, the warfare of this life and doesn't have anybody who has their back. And I think too often we get isolated and separated in our culture and we, we're, we're surrounded by people, but we don't have anybody who we have that confidence and that trust beyond all doubt that, that no matter what happens, I know this person has my back. And I think as we think about moving forward as, as a church and as Christians in our day and our culture, I, I don't think people are, are interested in coming to church to, to just do religious activities. You see, I think if, if we were lucky enough to have somebody who wanted to come and check out our church and, and to maybe check out God for the first time or for the first time in a long time, they're, they're not looking for a committee to sit on. They're looking for somebody to, to, be, uh, to have their back. They're looking, is, is there somebody I can have relationship with? Is there a, a community that I can find mutuality of give and take where we can build trust and love for one another? But I think too often churches these days spend so much of their time doing activities in the name of God that we miss the opportunity to build those relationships and those communities that allow us to, to be the hands and feet of God for one another. And you see, I think that's really what Jesus intended to provide for us and why he came and gave his life so that we could have life. I think this is the perspective that the Apostle Paul shares in Ephesians chapter 3, where he's talking about how God has revealed his marvelous plan, not only for the Jewish people, but for all people, that, that this mystery was revealed, that, that God had included the Gentiles in his plan. All the non-Jews were a part of what God wanted to invite people to experience through his son Jesus. And in chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, he says, his intent, meaning God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, 
And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged by my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power in his spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more, to do more, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You know, I think often we, we read scripture passages like this, and we, we have such an individualistic mindset in our culture that we, we think about it in personal terms. But what Paul's talking about here is he's talking about the experience of community. He's talking about how God's plan was to make known to the whole world about his love through this new community that he was creating called the church. He was not creating a building on a street corner. He wasn't creating a 501c3 nonprofit organization for raising money and doing good deeds. He was forming a new kind of community for people who could enter into relationship with one another in a way that they had one another's backs in a way that they shared all of the things that God had given them so that they could support and care for one another, so that they could demonstrate the same love that God revealed through His Son Jesus in their relationships with one another. And as they lived out those relationships with one another, that would be a testimony to the surrounding world and community that God's love was real. That this Jesus who came and gave his life and died and rose again and is still alive is alive and well and living on planet earth. Because I guarantee you, you don't have to be alive very long in this world to know that if you have a community that's loving one another well, that's living healthily and treating one another the way that God had intended, you have to say, well, that's a miracle. And that's what Paul's saying. When the power of the Spirit of God comes on you and enters into you, each one of you begin to live your life in relationship with one another in a whole new way. See, it's not about my own personal relationship with Jesus alone. It's about how the Spirit of God enters into my life, and as I discover the fulfillment of God's love for me, I turn that outward and say, I can love you in the same way that God loved me. And I don't care what your mistakes have been. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how broken you've been. God's love can overcome all that. Let's figure it out together. I've got your back. And I know that you've got mine. And if we can have that kind of community, then we can begin to invite other people out there who've been burned over and over and over again by people who say they love God and they preach the word of God but then they treat you like you don't mean nothing to God. 
In fact, they, they think that you are less than nothing because you don't have that special knowledge, that special relationship with God that I do. And I know better than you. You see, that's not why Jesus came. That's not the mission that God gave us to fulfill. Our hope is in Christ. Therefore, we aren't discouraged by the sufferings of life. We're not discouraged by the challenges of life. Our family, this family that we have that we call the church, derives its name from God. That's why we're here. We're, we're not faith covenant church of our, of our own volition. We're, we derive our name from Jesus Christ. We are Christians. We follow a, a Messiah who gave his life to show us that God was a merciful God. God was a gracious God. And God has a plan for us to experience fulfillment and wholeness in life. You see, God wants us to have spiritual power within ourselves so that we can be rooted, Paul says, and established in love. And that's really what community is all about. Community gives us a sense of rootedness. You know, when people want to be a part of a community, it's not just they're looking for relationships in the moment. They're looking for a sense of, of history and a sense of future. I want to be a part of something that has some, some, some story that, that resonates with me, but it's also someplace I can go with them. There's, they're on a trajectory heading somewhere that has meaning and value, and if I, if I become a part of that community, I have confidence, you know what, I'm going to be in a better place if I stick with this community. And as we stick with one another in that way, Paul says, we, become to, we come to know the love of God that he has for us in Christ and that that kind of love surpasses all knowledge. You see, God hasn't invited us to just receive information. Yes, he's given us the Bible and he's recorded through history and through all the believers who've walked with him, information that we can have that helps us to understand who God is and this story that he's invited us to participate in. But if all we focus on is the information, we miss the application. And the application is to experience the love of God that goes beyond knowledge. It goes beyond information. I can tell you about it, but, but man, you got to taste and see that the Lord is good. And how, how are people going to taste and see the love of God unless we invite them to experience that in our relationships with one another? See, that's what it's all about, is that we are the carriers of God's Spirit to one another. Uh, sociologists and philosophers are talking about how, you know, we've heard a lot about postmodernism and postmodernity and how, you know, moving on beyond the Enlightenment period and all, all truth is relative and, and, and that the, you know, all of these kind of truth claims and this information that we carry is, is no longer valid in our culture. And, and all of that is a continuing and ongoing challenge and debate that we face as Christians who claim to, to, to have and know truth. But they're also recognizing something that was new for me, and I, I was a philosophy minor and, and a history major in college, and I had never heard about this, but, but it was interesting as, as I was reading and studying and preparing for this series, there's a whole uh, sociological experience out there that they call an, a supermodernity. So we have postmodernity, like it is beyond modern, but then we have modernism on steroids, Right? Supermodern, and, and, and in this supermodernity, there's, there's two characteristics that identify what supermodernity is about, and, and it, it's about non-place 
and overabundance. Non-place and overabundance. And it's interesting, what they're identifying is as they look at our contemporary American culture and really our Western culture, is that we are seeing more and more non-places emerging out of our abundance. We have so much abundance and we have so much wealth and we have so much focus on on our own pleasures and our wants that we're creating all of these non-places. And a non-place is a place that has nothing to do with relationship. It has nothing to do with trying to connect people in face-to-face conversation or interaction. It has to do with providing for the needs of all these individuals who are out searching for fulfillment in their life. So non-places are malls, movie theaters, uh, uh, condominium complexes with you know, swimming pools and, and spas and gyms and, and all these things. Um, other non-places are uh, freeways, right? We, we, we have these huge roadways to, to carry us to all the places that we're wanting to go on our, our search for fulfillment. But all these places don't connect us with anyone in a face-to-face personal way. They're all designed to provide for the needs of growing individuals, supermarkets. You see, we go to all these places where we're surrounded by people, sports arenas, and we feel like we're, we're a part of a community because we're in the crowd. We're, we're with all the people in the culture, but we're never interacting with anybody in a real way. We're never talking about what's really going on in our lives. We're never sharing what we're struggling with. We're never talking about the, the painful, broken places in our lives. And you know what the reality is that they're saying? Is that many churches in America today are becoming non-places. Is this a place where people can come and discover God? That He is real and He loves them and He has a plan for their life to bless them and not to harm them? And that that there's fulfillment in these areas where they're searching for hope? Or is this a non-place where hundreds of people come every week and sit shoulder to shoulder, and worship God, the God who died for them, and then walk out those doors and go back to all the other non-places where we inhabit our lives day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. It's no wonder our culture is crying out and railing against the church. What what do we really have to offer them? Is Is it information? Man, they got plenty of information. We got more information than we can handle. We're an information overload. I don't want more information. I want to taste and see. I want to know that it's good before I believe it. I need to belong to something before I believe. I want to know what I can become. And if, if I can belong someplace that I know is helping me become something important, something valuable, something good, gosh, you know what? Maybe that is true. 
maybe I can go back and say, wow, all that information, it's starting to make sense because, because I can experience it and I can see it. I, I, I've, I, 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 it makes sense how it works in life. They say there are a few places that remain in our culture where people can find community, true community, and yet people are hungry and longing for fulfillment in their lives. Those who first heard the message, the kingdom of God is among you, understood the you, plural. The kingdom refers to a community. The idea of an interior private kingdom that's just between me and God would have been totally incoherent to the people who first heard Jesus' message. And the invitation is for we who hear the the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to recognize that we're invited to be contributors and co-creators with God of this new community that he has uh, has planted in the world through the seed of his son Jesus Christ that he he planted into the earth. You see, Christians are called to embody the hope of Christmas in our lives every day. Christian physicist John Polkinghorne remarked that hope is not a mood, but it's a commitment to action. Its character implies that whatever we hope for, will be prepared, we will be prepared to work for, thus bringing it about as much as we are able. And in, in, in a biblical sense, it's, it's, it's hope for the poor. It's hope for the sick. It's hope for the despairing. It's hope for the stranger. It's hope for the hope for those who are hungry. It's hope for the sinner. It's hope for the neglected. It's hope for the embittered. It's hope for the estranged. It's hope for those who are shackled by fear and paranoia. It's hope that are for those who are looking for a sense of destiny in their lives that, and, and, and meaning and purpose, that somehow I, there's a reason why I'm alive. British missionary and theologian Leslie Newbegin says, no one can say thy will be done on earth as in heaven with sincere faith if they have no interest in making that will visible in personal action. Ouch. (laughs) Peter Steinke, church consultant and leader, says, "The, the earth is hope's theater where we play out God's future in the present. I love that. The earth is hope's theater where we play out God's future in the present. You see, people come to church longing for, yearning for, hoping for a sense of of rootedness, of place, of belonging, of sharing and caring. People come to church in our time searching for true community. Yet we make the mistake of assuming that if we put people on a committee, they'll somehow develop relationships along the way and they'll take ownership of the church and they'll, they'll move from being part of the 80% to part of the 20% to help our 501c3 be profitable. At least in ministry terms, right? But see, their search is so much more profound than needing a committee to sit on or a ministry to be a part of. They're looking for home. They're looking for relationships. They're looking for people who will have their back. They're looking for the profound depth of community that is absent from the culture that we live in. I'd like to suggest that if we're going to be a church that truly prays, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we have to be 
be people who are really good at doing relationships well and able to train other people how to do relationships well. I, I don't know why you're here today. I don't know what brought you to this place. I don't know what brought you into uh, this sanctuary. I don't know what you're searching for this morning. But we're all searching for something. We're all hungry for fulfillment. We all need community, identity, meaning, and purpose in our lives. And yet we're searching for these in a lot of ways that just aren't panning out. And and I just want to challenge you this morning that if you've been searching for fulfillment, if you've been looking for that next thing that's going to be the answer for you, and it's just not coming, if you're just not finding it, maybe that's God saying, there could be an answer here at Faith Covenant Church during this Christmas season. That maybe within these four foundational searches, there might be a hope that you can latch on to that will bring meaning and value and purpose to your life and allow you to begin to find those places of fulfillment that maybe you've been searching for for a long time. And I'll just close today by saying our understanding, our belief, our trust is that that hope has a name and his name is Jesus Christ. And the fact that he demonstrated while we were yet sinners that he was willing to give everything on our behalf means that there is nothing that can prevent you from coming into a relationship with him whenever you're willing and able because he's standing on the cross with arms open wide saying I love you this much and there's nothing that you've done can do or will do that will ever make me love you less And there's nothing you can do, have done, or ever will do that can ever make me love you more. Because I've already given you everything. We have this hope, the author of Hebrews says in 619, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope named Jesus Christ as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So no matter what happens in life, no matter what human relationship fails us, no matter who turns their back on us, no matter what ball drops in our life, we have this love, we have this hope, we have this person, Jesus Christ, as an anchor for the soul because we know that we find true fulfillment in his community. We find true identity in his personhood. We try find true meaning in his mission and the work that he's designed us to do. And we find our ultimate purpose, our calling in life, as we submit our lives to him as our master. And we say, lead us into what you would have us do. And that, again, is the invitation. That's the gift that God has for us this Christmas. I'm going to close with Eugene Peterson's version of Hebrews 6, 19. He says in the message, We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. My hope and my prayer this Christmas season, is that you will find community. You will find 
identity. You will find meaning. You'll find purpose. And ultimately, you will find fresh, new, real hope at Faith Covenant Church this Christmas season. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we stand in awe of how great your love is. How deeply you have sacrificed to let us know that your invitation is open to all who would come to taste and see your goodness. God, forgive us for the ways that we have been obstacles to others seeing and knowing that kind of love. Forgive us for the ways that we have allowed ourselves in the name of God to in many ways become a non-place when people are hungry and starving for a place to belong, a place to put down roots, a place to find a future and a hope. God, in this Christmas season, as we anticipate the coming of Messiah again, the birth of the baby Jesus into the darkness of that midnight hour, God, would you allow this to be the dawning of a new light in our lives, even for those of us who may be in the middle of our own midnight hour in this season. And God, we will thank you. We will praise you. And we will lift up the name of Jesus, who is our anchor for our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.